name, King of Majesty Jesus. There was this shout in this section right here that came to, to begin to rise over all the other voices in singing. It's because we experienced that this weekend. This shout that at the name of Jesus, captives are made free and dirty are made clean. And praise God. And you know what? Philip didn't do that. I didn't do it. Only Jesus can do it. In Christ alone, the cornerstone, weak made poor. What? Weak made strong. <laughs> In the Savior's love. Only Jesus can do it. He's the truth. And so, I just want to, before we get started this morning and go any, anywhere else, I just, my heart's full because God is good. And he's the only one who's able to save us. And he's the only one to change us. And we have to come to him as we are to who he is. Not what we think he is or what we've been told he is, but for who he actually is. If you have your Bible, turn real quick to Colossians 2, 6 through 8, underline this. It says, So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in Him. So a Lord rules what they do and how much of their kingdom do they rule they rule all of it all of it and Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords we just sang it this morning when we sing that mountains shake before him and demons run and flee at the mention of the name king and majesty we're singing and describing the name of Jesus and to say that Jesus, you are the great I am. We're saying he is God. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is God. We believe our God is Jesus. And so to receive him we have to receive him for who he is. And that's his Lord. Until we receive him as Lord, we have no part with him. Because we have to receive him for who he is, Lord. And Lord's rule. And then it says, so just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, Continue to live in him. It doesn't say alongside of him. This isn't, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. That's not what this is about. It's not alongside or in the passenger seat or in the back seat or a part of. It says in. Continue to live in him. Because to mean that he's Lord, the fact that he's Lord means... I've given him rule 
over all of my life. So my life isn't in me anymore. It's in him. Because the only thing that makes Jesus qualified to save is who he is. He's the Lord. And because he's King of kings and Lord of lords, he is the only one who's qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. So we have to receive him that way. Because that's who he is. Verse 7 says, rooted, rooted and built up in him, and strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted. What are we rooted in? Well, when he's Lord, I choose to root myself in him because my life is in him. It's in him. And so when he is my life, it's not my life anymore. He's the Lord and I'm in him. Whenever life squeezes me and trials and hard times and hurts and disappointments, Jesus overflows. And that's thankfulness. Because I realize that he's greater than every other circumstance. He's made my heart pure and blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And that means that when I'm rooted in him, he's given me a pure heart, right students? Praise God, right? He gave us a pure heart and saved us for purity that now I see him greater than every circumstance that I see he's greater than my hurts and my hangups and my trials and my tribulations and my disappointments. And so thankfulness pours out. But if I'm rooted in me, you know what comes out of me when I'm squeezed? Fear worry and a bad husband and a bad father but he saved me to be in him because he's Lord and verse 8 says see to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ and see Here's what we're going to talk about, because here's what happens a lot. When we get so used to things being a certain way, because that's how we've always heard them, different stories in the Bible or different things that we're just used to, that we're easily taken captive by human traditions and by things that we get used to that don't depend on Christ. And what my hope is this morning is that the truth will set us free that will really come to grips with the truth and it'll set us free. Because I don't want to be based on human tradition. This formula of salvation, A plus B equals C, that it's as easy as A, B, C. All I got to do is admit that I'm a sinner. And that's easy because no one's perfect and just believe and acknowledge that Jesus was God and confess that he's the Lord and that he rose from the dead and I'll be saved. Bada bing, bada boom. And then I just go out throughout the rest of my life because I said the Harry Potter spell of salvation that covers me and now I can just go about my life doing my own thing. No. If we believe that and we believe that we can just ask Jesus into my heart to be a part of my life, I've been taken captive by a hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on the teaching of man, not on Christ. Christ saved me to set me free live in victory and to change me and so what happens a lot is we hear these stories in scripture and we hear these teachings and different things and we're missing the truth you ever heard something so much that you just get so used to it that you just think that that's how it is you know 
we hear all these stories growing up. Those of us who have grown up in church our whole lives, we hear stories over and over and over again, and we just begin to think, oh, it's about that. Yeah. That's not what it's about. We hear, the, like, for example, the story of the Good Samaritan. What do we always think? We've heard that story so many times. What do we think it's about? We think it's about the Good Samaritan. It's a good title. It's very descriptive. We think it's about the Good Samaritan, this good guy who was a Samaritan who, had, who took pity on someone. That's what it's about. But we hear it so much that we just think that it's about, and we're missing the truth. And the truth changes everything. You know, just to illustrate this, I had a situation in my life that happened not too long ago that, you know, you just get accustomed to something happening, that that's the way it's always been, that's the way you've always perceived it. But then all of a sudden, <laughs> you figure out that's not really it. And the truth changes everything. Those of you know, and I'm very blessed to have married into the marriage jackpot, as I call it, because I married Lauren Wackerly, who is the bomb.com, double click. She is it, man. But not only that, but when I married Lauren, who's the most incredible, she's like Mary Poppins. She's practically perfect in every way. She is it, man, and she is so good looking. And when you, if you haven't met her yet, you'll like me better when you meet her. It's for sure. But I, I call it the marriage jackpot because I'm married into this incredible family that I love so much, and they love me so much. It's awesome. And so Drew, my brother-in-law, um, came down to live with Lauren and I last year to go to school in Texas. And it was such a great year. He was going to junior college there. And uh, we had a ton of fun. But then he came home for the summer and he decided, he had several friends that he made. They were going to the University of Texas in Tyler, which is about two hours east of us. And so he wanted to go to school there. So he was here and in Costa Rica for the summer. And so the plan was that he was gonna come home with Andy, the captain, as I call him. And we... We're going to move Drew up to Tyler, and then, you know, that was going to be it. But we figured out that Lauren was going to be here for all these showers. I was taking showers, too. But she was having wedding showers here in St. Louis and baby showers. That, yes, that's what they're called. Thank you, Mother. <laughs> baby showers here, and so she was here for like 20 days. And because I was coming back and forth for cold winter nights and for some weddings, we just said, stay here. It's foolish for you pregnant to keep coming back and forth, so just let me do it. And it was miserable. I was alone with my dog. And that's it. And so I call up mom and dad in love, Captain and Miss Bonnie, and I say, hey, Captain, how about you stay for a couple extra days? It'll just be me and you, man. We'll only eat meat. And we'll have a great time. And he goes, okay, let's do it. And so he comes down. The first day that they're there, we move Drew back. And then he's going to stay with me for three or four days. Now imagine how weird this is, you know. Like this doesn't happen a lot. And it didn't really occur to me until later that this will probably never, ever happen again. It's me and my father-in-law and nobody else. He's not there to see the person that is his blood that he had a part of birthing. You know, I guess he was holding Miss Bonnie's hand while she did the work. Been there. And so, this is just weird. 
but it was so awesome. It was so great. And so we're hanging out, and I go, the first night he gets there, and I go, okay, so where do you want to sleep? You can sleep in the guest room with Drew, or you can have Drew sleep on the floor, and you can sleep in the nice guest bed, or you can sleep in the nursery on a pull-out mattress, or you can sleep on the couch. Where do you want to sleep? And he goes, I'll just sleep with you. <laughs> okay. Come on. I grew up with brothers, you know, and when the house was full, we would sleep together. No big deal. I'm not worried about that. And I go, it'll be fun. It'll be like a little sleepover. We can tell stories and tickle each other's backs. And, and he's like, really? And I said, no. I'm not tickling your back sicko so he comes in and we're we're getting ready for bed and we're and we're getting ready to go to sleep it, and it was it was like that awkward sleepover you know where I don't know when the last time you had a sleepover was for me it was like you know 10 or 11 years ago with Chris Shar and but you, you you're having these conversations and and you don't want to like you decide you're done but you don't want to roll over and be like hey, good night because that would especially with your father-in-law I'm like tough taking care of his daughter man you know and so I just decide I'm done with the conversation I'm going to sleep and so it's kind of like oh yeah that's cool (laughs) you just decide you're not talking anymore so I fall asleep and as I always do every night I sleep on the right side of my bed and I fall asleep on my right side my little Benton my little dog cuddled up next to me and so I'm asleep And I'm just, something you have to know is that my entire, you know, five years that I've had this bed, it's the way it's always been. We got it when we got married. I've never slept with anyone else in this bed but Lauren. So when we get used to something always being a certain way, why wouldn't it always be that way? So I'm sleeping on my right side, and I feel this presence in bed with me that's sleeping on their left side, just like Lauren always sleeps. So why wouldn't it be Lauren, right? So I just, because I love my wife with all my heart, I decide, as is my custom, usually at some point in the middle of the night, to roll over and just kind of cuddle up next to her. So, (laughs) this is all true, no exaggeration. So I just wrap my arms around who I think is Lauren. And nothing happens. We're just cuddling. But I want to get closer to my sweet wife. And I'm feeling a little chilly. And so I go ahead and pick up my leg. Start to pull her legs in close. The problem is, it wasn't Lauren. And all of a sudden, I hear, hey! And the truth changes everything. And I go, (laughs) good night. And see, we get so used to things being a certain way, but as soon as we discover the truth, it changes everything, and it sets me free. I never have to cuddle with him like that again. And the funniest part of that story is that he slept with me for the next three nights. Still. And I was on the edge of the bed, hugging Benton, saying, hold me close, don't let me go over there. 
But you know what the, I'm glad we can enjoy that, and it's funny, and it's real. But my hope is that our eyes will be open and we'll never approach Scripture like that again. That we get so used to just thinking it's that way because we were taught that, and that's the way we've always thought that it's been. But the truth changes everything. Jesus is the truth, and he changes everything. And all of Scripture points to him. So we're going to look at the Good Samaritan this morning because I know that for most of my entire life, I've always thought the Good Samaritan was just about the Good Samaritan, but it's not. It's not. And the truth is going to change everything this morning. Open up your Bibles to Mark. Just kidding. Luke. Chapter 10. And there's some spots in, there's some spot in your message notes if you want to take some notes under this it's Mark, nope just kidding, Luke 10 verse 25 through 37 just to give you some quick background, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are getting pretty ticked off at Jesus because they've had it about up to here with him and now they, they begin to plot against him they're trying to figure out a way that they can catch him in his words so that they can accuse him with something and kill him. That's what their agenda is. And so they get this lawyer, this expert in the law, to come and ask him a question to try and trap him in some words. But it's hard to trap God in flesh and words when he knows everything that you're going to ask him before you ask him and when he knows your heart. So here's what happens in verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But Scripture doesn't tell us what happened in this guy's heart. But the next verse reveals to us that something happened. The Spirit of God convicted him in the way that Jesus spoke it to him, that it hit his heart, that all of a sudden he felt convicted, and he got a little defensive. Because his heart wasn't yielded to God, but all of a sudden he felt guilty. And so he, he, he decides to, to ask Jesus this question to try and justify himself, try and make himself feel better. And maybe it was that Jesus said, you've answered correctly. You know what the truth is. But maybe when he said, do this and you'll live, he realized I don't love my neighbor as myself. I like looking out for me. Whatever it is, it happens. I don't know. But something happens in his heart where he wants to justify himself. So right here in the next verse, it says, But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus just decides to teach him a lesson in this story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You know, if you know anything about Samaritans and Jews, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They were enemies. They were absolute enemies. And so a priest, a Jew, and a Levite, a Jew, see their fellow Jew there, beaten up, left for dead, and robbed, and they pass by. But then an, an enemy of the fellow, of the Jew, has compassion for him. Verse 34. So he, the Samaritan, went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You guys, we've always thought that this was about the Good Samaritan, but it's not. It's about Jesus. Jesus is presenting the gospel to this lawyer. In verse 30, let's read it again when it says, that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's us. That's me. You know what the scripture says? In John 10, 10, it says, the thief, the robber, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy you. And because I have believed the lie, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, that without any shame, without any sin, walked in the presence of God in the coolness of the day. Just like them, I've been deceived into thinking that life is for me. And because of my sin and because I've been deceived, the enemy has been stealing from me and killing me and destroying me. And he's left me for dead, just like he left Adam and Eve for dead, because God's word says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, what we earn for the work that we do in our sin is death. And if you're half dead with no hope, this guy, if no one saves him, he will die. Death is imminent. He is on his way to death just like you and me. Stripped, beat up, hurt, lied to, being completely deceived in our sin and in our shame, and we're on our way to certain death. 
And you know what we try and do? This is, this is a spiritual thing, how beat up and how bruised we are and how hurt, deceived we are. We feel that spiritually, but our physical bodies can still move. And Jesus is looking at the spiritual heart right now. But what we try and do is we feel that, well, I just need to be better. I just need to do more. I just need to be better. I, maybe I'll be more religious. And I'll get into religion. And yes, I've lived life my whole life. And I've always said that once I have kids, maybe I'll try and raise them in the church. And so I'm going to become religious. Well, verse 31 says that a priest walks by, sees the man, and goes around him on the other side and passes by. That priest represents religion, and religion can't save you. Being good or trying harder, obeying the law, can't save you. We're still laying there half dead on our way to death. And then the Levite, who is the tribe of Israel that was set apart to be priests, all their righteous acts, all the good things they did to uphold the law, their Christian piety, good works, righteous acts, doing good things, they can't save us. Because we don't do good things to be saved. We do good things because we have been saved. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the sin, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. And it doesn't matter if I sell everything I have, if I sell my house and my cars and my dog and everything I have and give it to the poor. I still have a half-dead heart that's been lied to, that's been deceived. And it doesn't matter how much good I do, I'm still unclean. Because... No one ever had to teach me how to sin. I've always been great at it. I've got this sinful nature that's believed the lie and has been robbed and stolen from and beaten up and battered and bruised and on my way to certain death because that's what I've earned. But there's this awesome conjunction in verse 33, but changes everything but a Samaritan an enemy of this man as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion and he went to him and he bound up his wounds poured on oil and wine then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end to take care of him you know what Romans 5 says about us and our relationship with God it says that we are enemies of God I've heard one theologian say that it's almost as if we come out of the womb chucking rocks at God because we want to be in control. And most often our first words as kids are what? No and mine. And then we learn how to say mama and dada. And that works great because no goes great before those things. No mama, no dada. I am disobedient. I'm going to live for myself and look out for number one because I have a sinful nature and I am on my way to death. But as enemies of God, I praise God that he took compassion on me and he sent Jesus. And all over the gospels, whenever Jesus saw the crowds, you know what it says? He saw the crowd and he was filled with compassion for them. And then he fed them, and then he healed them, and then he ministered to them. 
and this enemy of this Jew because of all the hurtful things that the Jews have done to the Samaritans sees him and he takes compassion on him you know what's so good when we put our faith in Jesus and he saves us he binds up our wounds he binds up our wounds just like the Samaritan did for this Jew he binds up our wounds and then he pours out oil and wine to heal us but you know what oil represents all throughout scripture the Holy Spirit And Jesus not only saves us and then binds up our wounds and heals us, but he pours out the oil. He pours out the Holy Spirit to indwell us with his presence so that now we can walk forever in the healing that he has now bound us up in. This story isn't about a Samaritan. It's about Jesus. And he pours out the oil to give him the Holy Spirit to walk in freedom and then look at verse 35 it says and the next day after he took him to the inn he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back I'm so glad that Jesus paid my debt I'm so glad that he paid the debt that I couldn't pay, that Jesus took it all. You know, it's so great. Not only has he paid my debt eternally, but he's still, even everything that's in the future is paid. He saved me. He is saving me, and he will save me when he returns. I'm his. And he has said to God the Father, whatever is against them, Charge it to me. Charge it to me. And then you know what's so great is he says, whatever else happens after they've been saved, I'll take care of it when I come back. Because when he comes back, there's going to be no more sin, no more shame, no more hurt, no more crying, no more death. He's paid it all. Praise God that this story isn't about the Good Samaritan. It's about Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And he bound up our wounds. And he saved us and he gave us the Holy Spirit to walk in that healing. And in verse 37, Jesus asked him, which of these three, verse 36 rather, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the one who took pity on him, the one who showed him compassion. And in verse Jesus, in verse 37, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. And do likewise means to follow. So when Jesus is saying, you go now and do likewise, he's not just saying that. He's saying, follow me. This story is about me. This story is the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew, for the Samaritan, for the Gentile, for all of us. And so he's saying, when you go doing likewise, follow me. Follow me. Because the truth is, you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength until you've been saved 
and, and brought out of death of your spiritual self and brought into life in Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit to walk in that. And it's impossible to love your neighbor as yourself because we like to look out for number one, right? But when I'm dead, number one's dead. Jesus is number one because he's Lord and I'm in him. And so I can love my neighbor as myself and I can consider without any vain conceit or pride his needs better than mine because Jesus has saved me and brought me out of death and placed me into life. He's not saying just go do and like go and do likewise like the Samaritan. He's saying follow me. Jesus never calls us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. That's why he could say love your enemies because he loved us. That's why he can say pick up your cross because he picked up his. That's why you can say die to yourself because he died. And that's why we can, he can raise us again in life because he raised. He's saying, follow me. But what does it take to follow Jesus? Is it just saying a prayer? Is it just going to church? Is it just trying to be good? No, we know that's not true. That's based on human tradition. And I don't want to be taken captive by that. I want to be rooted in Jesus because Jesus saved me. And see what Jesus says about following him. Look in Luke 14. Verse 25. This is what Jesus says about following him. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a Christian. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Is that what we want to be? And he says, if you do not hate your own father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is tough that Jesus is saying what it takes to follow him. And then he makes it tougher in verse 28. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all, the NIV says everything, they're synonymous, they both mean 100%. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want you to understand something this morning, church and sweet people. 
Jesus didn't just lose his mind for a second. He wasn't having a bad day. This is the teaching of Scripture. This is the teaching of Jesus. The verse Romans 10, 9 that we've taken out of context that have made a formula, A plus B equals C, all you got to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. You'll be saved. It's that easy. Just, just confess it and believe it. And acknowledge it. You'll be saved. That's not an easy teaching. This is a hard teaching. It's the same teaching. This is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be taken captive by the empty and deceitful philosophies of the world that depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. I want to be rooted in Christ. I love my wife, I love my, my, my sweet baby girl, I love my family, I love my brothers and sisters, I love so many of you guys in here that I know and I love you that I don't know you because Jesus compels me to and I love my mom and my dad, I love my captain and my sweet mother-in-law, Miss Bonnie and I love my adopted grandpa, my adopted grandma and I love, I love, but they can't save me, only Jesus can save me and I love pastors and I love all this but only Jesus can save me, my dad can't save me only Jesus can. And this is what he is teaching. And it's true. But it's hard. What does it mean when he says, if you're going to come after me, you must hate your father, your mother, your brothers and sisters, your wife and children, even your own life, or else you cannot be my disciple. Okay, how you apply this is, kids, you don't go home today and say, how was the weekend? It was great. I hate you. Or Lauren, when she came up and hugged me, and she looked so good, and she said, hey, how was first service? Great, I hate you. And Rayleigh, I hate you. It's not what this means. When he says, even hates his own life, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know what Jesus said in Mark 8? He said, if anyone will come after me, Verse 34, it's going to be on the screen. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then in verse 35, he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know why I can hate my own life? It's because I already died to it. I already died to it. It doesn't mean I go home and hate myself and self-mutilate or inflict pain on myself. It means I am not found in my mom or my dad. I'm not found in Philip or Shelly or Josh or Julie or Andrea or Drew. I'm not found in Lauren or Rayleigh. I am in Jesus. I gave him my all. He's the Lord of my life. And so my love for him means hatred of everything that's of the world. Because I can't love both God and the world. Love for the world is hatred towards God. I'm in Jesus. So much so that I don't even hold on to my own life. Because it's not mine anymore. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if it ever happens where a man comes in, breaks into our home, and he holds a gun up to my head, and he grabs his buddy, his partner in crime, 
grabs Lauren and Rayleigh and holds a gun up to their head and says, listen, either you renounce that Christ is Lord or we will kill your wife and your little girl in front of you and then we'll kill you. By the grace of God, if that ever happens, may I say, I'll look at Lauren and Rayleigh in the eyes and I say, I love you with all my heart. Keep the faith and soon we'll see Jesus face to face because he paid it all and he brought us out of death and into life and this is momentary. To live is Christ, babe, and to die is gain. And we'll see him. We'll see him. Because I don't hold on to my life and I don't hold on to her because she's not mine. She's the Lord's. And that's why in verse 33, it says, if anyone does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's a high, high cost to pray, pay, but you know what? It's worth it. Look at verse 28. When he says, for which of you, after he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. There's a cost, you guys. You know what breaks my heart? Is we've been taken captive by hollow and deceitful philosophy in the church of America and we've been told that all you got to do is just ask Jesus to come in and be a part of your life ask Jesus to come into your heart that's not what Jesus is saying he's saying count the cost because the church in America this is describing us we haven't counted the cost this is never preached and so we are a bunch of builders who began to build and didn't count the cost and so it doesn't look like a lot of us are able to finish and so the world sees that they look at the church and what do they do they ridicule us and they go I'll never go to church because it's full of hypocrites but let's be set free this morning Let's be set free and believe Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth, and the truth sets us free. Whoever does not renounce all that they have cannot be my disciple. Mark 8, 34 and 35. We said it, we'll say it again. If you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Those are the two things he says, the two requirements. You have to first deny yourself and then take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life, the person that goes, well, I'll just try and be good. I'll just try and be religious. And yeah, I'll ask Jesus to come in to be a part of my heart and my life and fix me up, but I'm still trying to take control and be God because Jesus is supposed to come and clean me up because it's about me. The person who wants to save it and go, but I'm still gonna be in control. I don't wanna submit to the Lordship of Jesus. That person will lose it. That's what verse 35 says. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life by denying themselves and picking up their cross, 
for me and for the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, will save it. In Romans 10, 9 says, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. For it's with the heart that we believe and are justified. It's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. You guys, this verse has been taken out of context for a long time in America. But it is teaching the exact same thing that Jesus was saying. To confess Jesus with my mouth isn't just empty lip service. To confess Jesus with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, what do lords do? They rule. And to confess Jesus with my mouth that he's Lord, it means I'm renouncing all I have because I'm making him the Lord. And and confessing him as Lord means, what about me? I'm not. I'm his servant. And so you know what I'm doing? I'm denying myself the right to be Lord. It's not empty lip service. It's not something to say. It's not a prayer that's the right incantation to save us. It's who he is that saves us, Lord. And when we submit to him as who he is, we deny ourselves. Then the second thing it says, that believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What's the second requirement that Jesus told us to do? Pick up our cross, right? What did the cross represent? Death. No one thought it was pretty. In the first century, when Jesus said, pick up your cross, everyone understood death. You have to pick up your cross and die, and then you follow me. Well, to believe in your heart isn't just an mental acknowledgement that Jesus raised from the dead. My heart is everything that I am. If I say, Lauren, you have my heart. Lauren, I love you with all my heart. To say you have my heart isn't just talking about my heart that beats blood. Because if that was true, I'd be dead. My heart is everything that I am. So when I say, Lauren, you have my heart, it means, Lauren, you have all of me. I'm all yours. My mind. Not just my heart, my mind, my eyes, my ears, my lips, my body, everything is only yours. So to believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead means I believe with everything that I am that he is who he says he is. I believe with all of my heart that he rose from the dead. So you know what? It's worth it for me to pick up my cross and die to me because I believe with everything that I am that Jesus rose from the dead and is able to raise up in me new life and bring a dead spirit and make it alive eternally. May the captives be set free this morning. It's not an equation. It's not a formula. Salvation. It's submitting to Jesus for who he is. As the one that makes mountains move and the ones that that demons flee from at the mention of the name King and Majesty, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus who is God and Lord have you ever counted the cost have you ever counted the cost because the truth is there is a cost And it costs everything. It costs everything. And following Jesus 
it costs your life. And if he demands it, take it. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. It may cost your reputation. It may cost you your money. Whatever the Lord calls you to give, you give. Because it's all his already, right? It may cost you some bitterness that you've been holding on to. Because in Christ he forgave me. Why, why wouldn't I forgive and love my neighbor as myself? Go and do likewise. Follow me. It may cost me everything, but it's worth it. Because I was dead. And he bound up my wounds and he saved me. And he poured out on me richly the Holy Spirit. It's worth it. And if, and if you have never counted the cost and you're that builder who believed that it was just this formula that I could just ask Jesus to come into my heart. Jesus doesn't want to come into your heart. He wants your heart. Instead of asking him to come into your heart, give him your heart. Renounce it all. Because he gave it all. And so he's calling you to do the same. Because he's worth it all. And so just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is working in this room right now. And I just want you to ask yourself this question. Sweet people that have been taught to love Jesus your whole life, just like me. And that's a blessing. But I'm so glad that when I was 12 years old, even though I had prayed to ask Jesus into my heart when I was a kid, because I was taught to love Jesus, why wouldn't I? For the first time in my life, God revealed to me that I was sinful and that I'd never been changed. that I had never been changed. How can I have the presence of a holy God come into my life and not be changed? And I never had. And I remember sitting on a playground at Windermere when I was 12 years old. I realized for the first time that Jesus, following him would cost me everything. And I remember distinctly saying, God, if my mom and dad walk away from you, I never will. Because I know who you are, and I'm convinced and persuaded that you are able to save me and guard what you've entrusted to me for that, what I've entrusted to you for that day, the day of redemption when I see you face to face. And in your heart, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, saying, you've never made me Lord, be set free today. What will people think? Well, who cares? Because it costs you your all. All you are, you are alone before the Lord. And so if you would say this morning, I have never counted the cost, but I'm, I'm counting it right now. I've never been changed, but I want Jesus to change me. I just want you to raise your hand and look up at me. No one's looking around. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Praise God. Praise God. Go ahead and look up at me. Pray, if... If you raise your hand, look up at me. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Lift it high. Lift it high. Praise God. 
what we're going to do. Those of you that just looked up at me and you're saying, I want to make Jesus Lord and renounce all that I have and give it to him, here's what we're going to do. Because we're just going to act out what Scripture says. Not what man says, what Scripture says. And Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 10 says, it's with the heart that we believe and are justified. Only the Lord God knows your heart and you know your heart. And if you rose your hand this morning and said that's you, just look up at me real quick. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that? Yeah. I'm gonna pray a prayer and I want us all to pray this together. And you just confess Jesus as your Lord. But all of us are gonna pray this together. Dear God, Thank you for saving me. Jesus, I renounce all that I have to make you the Lord. It's not my life anymore. It's your life, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, for bounding up my wounds, for healing me, and for giving me the Holy Spirit to walk in that healing. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for saving me. Yeah, praise God. Everybody look up. Hey, here's what I want us to do. We're about to sing this song. Maybe some of you have heard it, maybe you never have. But God knows your hearts. Those of you that looked up and said, I'm renouncing it all, praise God. Praise God. Because he is true and he saves us. Thanks for having the courage to count the cost. And say, I'm not going to just be alongside or apart. I'm in. I'm in. And I've received him as Lord. And he changes me and he's my Savior because he is Lord. We're going to all stand. And we're going to sing this song as an anthem. Thank you, God, for saving me. Let's do that, Travis. Why can't I give to you? Why can't I offer to the King for all the love you show? For all your mercy over me. I called your name, you heard my cry. Out of the grave and into life, my heart is yours, my soul is free. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you.
saved you? Aren't you glad that he suffered once for all? He paid it all. He made a way. Even though you were there half dead on your way to death, that he saved you. That when you called his name, the name that he is, the Lord, and said, Jesus, be my Lord, that he heard your cry and he saved you. Yeah! Man, we get excited about all the wrong things. Things that are temporary and fade away and pass away. Who cares? I told the youth last night, we're getting ready to sing again, stay there. I told the youth last night, I, I live in, in Arlington, and I'm a Mavericks fan. And it was awesome, man, two years ago when the Mavericks won the championship, and everyone was screaming and shouting and dancing, and yeah, champions, MFFL, Mavs fan for life. Now everyone hates them because they stink. Those things fade away. You don't say it's not your personality, because you love it when the Cardinals won. And you hooted and hollered, who cares? Jesus has brought us out of death and into life. And people were saved this morning. And remember when you were saved, isn't that good? Yeah. I was not planning on doing this, but just as we were singing, the Holy Spirit put on my heart. Now confessing Jesus is Lord means you renounce it all. So it costs your reputation. And I'm just going to ask you, Jesus said, not all who cry, Lord, Lord, will know me. If you forsake me in front of men, I'll forsake you in front of my Father. And it takes courage to renounce it all, doesn't it? And this is just an acting out of that. If you said, I counted the cost this morning, and I know who you are. You said, I counted the cost this morning. I just want you to come up here so that we can celebrate. Go ahead and come forward so that we can celebrate 
with the angels in heaven that you belong to him. Praise God. Praise God. Have the courage. Praise God. Yeah. told me there were others that looked up. And so I just want to give you a, a quick moment. I know we're already past 12. But if you want to take that first step, it's called overcoming the spirit of fearfulness. Because when you got saved, God didn't give you a spirit of fearfulness, but love because he's love and power because he's power and sound mind. And if you want to just come right now and let the 
God's people rejoice for the angels in heaven. You come right now. If you got saved this morning and you don't want to be ashamed of that, you come. You come right now. And let God's people cheer for you. They're already cheering. Are you going to come? say my feet are stuck in concrete that's what happens when you live in fear they do get stuck in concrete so I just want you to know elders would you all go to a different door Mark Tom why don't you go over here Todd Brand go right back here Philip you'll go right back here uh, Greg Schuster okay and as you go out today these men are here to just love on you and you just tell them as you go out you don't have to know who they are. They're all men that love the Lord. You just say, I got saved this morning, and I need your encouragement. Let them pray with you. Let them set up a time that would go through the scriptures. I tell you what, this morning what you saw in a bishop family was a miracle of God's grace. You have no idea the miracle of God's grace you witnessed this morning. Praise his holy name. And, and you guys know, Daddy and Mama, you were in life development this morning. You know you got saved, just not to make a declaration. You got saved to learn to be a devoted and disciplined follower of Jesus. That's called a disciple, where you follow him daily. Praise the Lord, and we'll be getting together. Praise his name, praise his name, praise his name. Praise his name, right? Praise his name. We're going to pray. You know I could preach right now. You know that, don't you? But, but my son said, Dad, I know you're going to be ready to preach, but just say amen and pray. So that's what I'm going to do. Let's pray together. Father, we do. We just praise, praise you, Lord. We praise you for the miracle of grace you have for every one of us. If we're just willing to say, here I am, Lord, save me. Oh, Father, thank you for the work that you've done in our students, in our college students, in our, our parents this weekend, cold winter nights. Thank you, Father. And thank you it's not for a weekend. Oh, Father, we pray for our precious students as they go back into a lost world that we're not at cold winter nights. They go into the same world of compromise and confusion and lies and, Lord, daily may they humble themselves and walk in the power of your Holy Spirit and walk in the freedom of the truth of your word. That they're not their own. They've been bought with a price. And they'll honor you and glorify you. And thank you, Father, that they'll depend on your strength. They'll guard their heart. And, Lord, in a pure heart, they'll see you. And Father, I pray for this entire gathering of people, uh, visitors or a church family, whoever they are, Father, we thank you. You know every one of us. Thank you, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts and let us see that you are trustworthy to count the cost because not following you, the cost is horrible. But following you, the cost is abundant life and victory in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for driving that home. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and will continue to do day by day, and we praise you we bless your holy name, Father. We bless your holy name. All of you, just bless his, bless his holy name. Just thank him and 
praise him for he alone is worthy of all praise that's what we're going to do when we go to heaven we'll sing worthy 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 is the name of the king of kings and lord of lords thank you father in the Bishop family this morning. Thank you for reminding this church family when they feel like quitting, it's always too soon to quit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we go out now to be your love and grace and kindness and goodness and encouragement to the lost and dying be salt and we'll be light as we follow you as Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name.